0: Uh, Much has been written on the subject of propaganda and the use of it by governments to influence the thinking of their populations. It's a word which is often accompanied by negative connotations though, eliciting thoughts of Nazi or Soviet propaganda machines, a friendly veneer, acceptable veneer, covering a myriad of political or human atrocities. Yet, it's a word which can be applied to activities of the British government as well over the last 100 years, particularly during the two global conflicts of the 20th century. The establishment of a department of information and subsequently a ministry of information during the first, towards the end of the First World War and revived at the onset of the second gave the governmental requirement to influence the population via publicity, advertising, marketing, and the control of information an enhanced degree of seriousness, which still echoes today. Today I'll set out some of the activities undertaken by the British government, which I believe can be considered propaganda, even if that description can be more readily attributed to some activities more than others. I will briefly describe how the government became engaged in propaganda during the First World War, and how the Ministry of Information developed its importance and its tone during the Second. I'll then look at the final incarnation of this department, the Central Office of Information, which operated from 1946 to 2011, and how the government has adopted new new media, including social media, in order to ensure it continues to provide its message as appropriately as possible. All the while, I will acknowledge documents or record series held here at the National Archives so as to demonstrate the variety of material available here that may influence or assist your research. The Department of Information was created in 1917 under the leadership of the novelist John Buckham. The department was divided into directorates with specific tasks, including one for literature and art. It was based at Wellington House, and as you can see on the organisation chart here, uh, this is available in the National Archives document INP 4 1B. In 1918, the Prime Minister David Lloyd George bestowed ministerial status on the department and installed Lord Beaverbrook. As the, new, as the head of the new Ministry of Information. As you can see on this organisation chart, an entire directorate for propaganda was created, alongside the one for literature and art, perhaps signifying a new level of importance for, this, for the subject. Nevertheless, by this point, perhaps the most significant act of propaganda during the First World War had already occurred. Uh, both the War Office and the Foreign Office had shown an interest in propaganda and the British government's engagement in it contributed to a significant alteration of the balance of power in the conflict. On May 7, 1915, the British ocean liner the Lusitania was sunk by a German submarine, claiming 1,198 lives. Many of the victims were American. The Germans claimed that the ship was carrying military equipment and supplies, a claim always denied by the British. The sheer number of American lives lost potentially threatened their entry in the war on the side of the Entente powers, but it was still uncertain. However, a German artist named Karl Goertz was so angered by the possibility that a, liner, a passenger liner had been used to carry military equipment that he created an ironic Lusitania medal uh, depicting a sinking ship on one side laden with munitions and the personification of death on the other selling tickets to unsuspecting passengers from a Cunard-line booth. This is um, an image from the British Museum of the the medal. This provided something of a coup for the British government, which quickly set about buying up copies of the medal in Germany and the Netherlands, and distributing them in Britain, at the same time failing to mention that the medal was the work of one German artist as opposed to the German government. This provided the British government with the opportunity to exploit the apparent German celebration of the loss of so many British and American lives. Amongst our records, we have a rubber composition of the medal in x 11-64, which is extracted from the Foreign Office document. The rubber composition allowed the British government to mint their own copies of the medal, which were distributed and sold in the United States, and thus influencing American opinion. And you can find out more about the medal uh, by listening to my colleague, Dr. Richard Dunley's podcast, which provides the full story and background, to the, uh, background context to the American involvement in the war. Shortly after the armistice, the Ministry of Information closed. But during the 1930s, as the likelihood of another conflict began to grow, the Committee for Imperial Defence, which included the heads of the armed services, considered the creation of a Ministry of Information at the outbreak of war. Indeed, when war began, for Britain at least, in uh, September 1939, the ministry was created instantaneously. But a combination of a lack of direction from the top, little enthusiasm from politicians, and the absence of a coherent philosophy regarding propaganda, restricted the effectiveness of the renaissance ministry of information. Accordingly, the early posters created by the MOI reflect a theme of exhortation and reassurance in the mould of the, in fact, unused keep calm and carry on posters, which of course have so much popularity these days. This approach was perhaps indicative of a certain degree of detachment on the part of those leaving the ministry, who were seemingly unable to effectively communicate with the public they appeared to variously consider to be somewhat simple, slightly untrustworthy or potentially hysterical. During the early months of the conflict, the so-called phony war, there was a concern amongst the MOI leadership, which included the BBC's moral arbiter, Lord Reith, that apathy may lead to pacifism. Some of the posters at this time, as I say, lacked a clear message, demanding resilience rather than providing specific instructions. And here's one example which falls within that category. Um, Many examples of Britain's propaganda out- output during the Second World War are available in the National Archives record series, inf 3 And you can sample them. some of them on the Art of War exhibition on our website. The fall of France, however, brought the front line almost to British shores, the focus at this time shifting towards uh, attempting to combat a fear of invasion, which could lead to defeatism. And this gradually morphed into a campaign around how people should be careful about what they say This isn't actually that clear, but what you can see at the top left is the beginnings of a a rumour, one man speaking to another and this quickly uh, grows into a whole group of people understanding whatever that rumour is supposed to have said Uh, This is a more clear example of the dangers of of careless talk Uh, The staple of the dangerous siren, of course, was popular and added to the repertoire shortly, and here's, here's one Dangerous siren, and, uh, and here's another. You forget that she remembers. Of course, posters for domestic consumption were only one element of the government's propaganda output during the Second World War. Another was the production of propaganda for a German audience. The material in FO898-426, which I'll show you, is from the Foreign Office's political warfare executive and includes subversive material designed for the German public. Here's a delightful picture of a Russian bear uh, forcing Hitler to dance, and now a rather gruesome depiction with the quotation in German um, that says, crucify him. The friendship between Germany and the Soviet Union is secured by blood. These tasteful words come from no other than Joseph Stalin in response to a well-wishing telegram from Hitler. Uh, In December 1939. Um, These last two examples would seem to be designed to install a sense of betrayal or perhaps fear amongst the German people at the time of the Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact of 1939 which lasted for roughly two years. And the other target audience for uh, the government's propaganda was Britain's allies. Here's a examples specifically designed for African audiences uh, with the lovely bold colours and slightly oversized aeroplane um, <laughs> and another is the 11 smiling servicemen from various allied nations You can learn more about the Ministry of Information during the Second World War from the ongoing collaborative project between the University of London uh, King's College London's digital, digital Humanities Department and the National Archives and others entitled Make Do and Mend and one outcome is the website moidigital.ac.uk and you can follow up at moidigital on Twitter. Following the Allied victory, the tensions between the co-combatants began to strain as the Soviet Union's political influence in the countries of East, Eastern Europe grew. As the Cold War set in place, there was an understanding within British government, governmental circles that a central organisation was still needed to provide common and specialist information services. The dual concerns of entrenched ideological and political divisions, and the potential horrors of, nu- of the nuclear age required the dissemination of further guidance from the government. During the 1970s and early 1980s, the COI on behalf of the Home Office, produced a series of leaflets and publicity videos relating to how citizens could survive a nuclear attack entitled Protect and Survive. And to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the creation of the COI, um, a selection of some of those most memorable films were added to the National Archives website. They're now available via the Archives media player. Among those is uh, the Casualties film from the Protect and Survive series. I'm going to try and play it now. Provided the internet connection works okay. Label the body with name and address and cover it as tightly as possible in policy, paper, sheets, or blankets. Try a second card with coverage. The radio will advise you what to do about taking the body away from home. If, however, You will have a body in the house for more than five days. And if it is safe to go outside, then you should bury the body as a dying being in a trench or cover it with earth and mark the spot of the burial. So pretty grim, yeah. Pretty grim, but, but certainly informative. <laughs> That's uh, 1975. 1975. <laughs> no, I can't imagine. Um, one of the most hard-hitting films by the COI, on behalf of the Department of Health, is the 1987 campaign informing the public to ignore the far too widely held misconception that that AIDS is a disease that affects only certain groups uh, with the slogan uh, AIDS don't die of ignorance and finally the 2003 campaign by the COI on behalf of the then Department for Education and Skills advising children to tell someone if they're being bullied is remarkable both in its emotional impact and the simplicity of its message as I say you can watch these and more on the archives media player on the website it's perhaps too much to suggest that these publicity films are in some way comparable to the explicit and exhaustive propaganda campaigns of the second world war particularly when we consider that widely held misconception that propaganda is to preserve totalitarian governments or at least those in conflict nonetheless these publicity videos do reflect an understanding acquired by the ministry of information during the second world war namely that the provision of direct instructions as opposed to vague exhortations or demands for resilience can actually be successfully disseminated to the public and are more effective. In uh, 2011, the Central Office of Information was closed with responsibilities for publicity and marketing returning to uh, government departments. Um, However, these departments have continued to construct publicity campaigns in the mould of those established by the MOI and the COI, and have enhanced their potential audience by using new media in order to share its messages. Um, Similarly, the increased use of the internet uh, uh, by the public has opened up a new medium. The UK government web archive, which is administered by the National Archives, has captured government websites, uh, including a wide range of audiovisual material and publicity campaigns. Furthermore, recent technical developments have allowed for the capture of government use of social media, including Twitter and YouTube. Um, here is, the, is a still from the 2012 campaign by the Department of Health to warn about the dangers of secondhand smoke in the home. You can visit a cache of YouTube videos that have been archived uh, in, on our website, and I'll show you a link to let, a little later on. Um, for more examples, and similarly, there is an archive of. Those government departments Twitter accounts too. I've shown today a variety of sources available at the National Archives showing how the government has used pictorial and audio material to influence the behaviour of the general public. The examples during the two world wars of the 20th century could perhaps be more readily understood as propaganda but the messages created during the Cold War and since have demonstrated that the government still applied the lessons learnt by the Ministry of Information during the Second World War. The sharing of concise and informative messages seems to have been understood as the best way to ensure that the government's messages are effectively shared. Alongside that, we see that continued theme of visually striking content, whether that's demonstrated by vivid colours, memorable slogans or uh, emotional significance, in order to capture the attention of audiences. Thank you very much for listening. Here are a few useful links, I'm sure we'll be sharing the slides with you later, maybe, probably, um, where you can use, uh, which I've these have informed my talk and could also potentially help with your research. So thanks very much. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives, rights reserved. It is available for reuse under the terms of the Open Government Licence.